Tri-State's number one motorsports talk show. Today's program is brought to you in part by our marketing partners. Recognized by the Eastern Motorsports Press Association as one of the top racing shows in the Eastern United States, here's Rapping on Racing. Good evening and welcome to Rapping on Racing, August 7, 2023. It is with great sadness that we announce the passing of Lernerville late model sprint and modified legend Dick Schwartzlander of age 92. He passed away peacefully on Monday, July 31. He was a lot of things to a lot of people, a racer, a mechanic, a marine, a dancer, a storyteller. But first and foremost, he was always a family man. Our thoughts and prayers are with the entire Schwartzlander family. Our sympathy is also extended to the Flinner family. Mark Flinner passed away after a brave battle with brain cancer. Mark was the father of late model driver Colton Flinner and the brother of retired late model driver John Flinner. We have a really interesting show for today. Tyler Harris has all the latest news from Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, and Bill Korch has a full report on the Juke George Memorial. Eric Westendorf has a nice Victory Lane interview with super late model driver Alex Faree. Howie Bayless was busy at Jennerstown Saturday with interviews of modified driver Jason Bush and pro stock driver Samantha Osborne. We have a new reporter, Rick Miller, and his report on Hall of Fame asphalt late model driver Mark Catone. Lenny Baticki from the Performance Racing Network at the track did a great interview with Sharon Speedway 410 Sprint Car feature winner Michael Bauer. We have several Victory Lane interviews. Eric Westendorf has Chris Schneider and Tyler Dietz. And Howie Bayless has Dan Campbell and late model driver Teddy Gabala. At the end of the show, we're going to play uh, some very nice interviews that I have. I, I did them in 2008 at Lernerville Speedway. I had a show called Trackside. And one of my very special guests was Hall of Fame driver Dick Schwartzlander. His entire interview will air commercial-free on today's program. I hope you enjoy his story. want to close the show out by thanking our marketing partners and our photographers for a job well done. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, this is NASCAR driver Josh Berry, and you're listening to Rapping on Racing. This is the Banker Bob thought for this evening. Only those who will risk going too far can possibly find out how far they can go. The dog days of summer can't compete with the heat that Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway will bring in the month of August. Come and be captivated by a symphony of roaring engines, cheering crowds, and an electric atmosphere that is known as Dirt's Monster Half Mile each Saturday night. On August 5th, $6,000 is on the line for the 34th annual Juke George Steel City Classic featuring the Rush Late Model Touring Series. August 12th will be a racing night in Pittsburgh featuring our TMT Transportation Action Event Divisions. 
the inaugural Hindsight Hustle, presented by 2020 Landscaping and Tree Service, featuring the Rourke Automotive Rush Dirt Late Models, takes place on Saturday, August the 19th. The month rounds out with a kid-focused, jam-packed night on August 26th. It's round number two of the Hobby Stock Triple Crown Series featuring the Wee Willie White Memorial, the duel before the shootout for the four-cylinders, kids' bike races, a vendor show, fireworks, and more. Visit ppms.com today for your tickets. Search PA Motor Speedway on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube. Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, Dirt's Monster Half Mile. Main Street Music and Sound is your full-service music store, featuring a huge beginner-to-boutique inventory. Main Street Music maintains a hometown approach to service with personal attention. Customers rely on Main Street Music and Sound for advanced product knowledge, expert in-house repairs, audio, video, lighting installations, and years of hands-on experience. Main Street Music features lines that include Anderson, Guitar Works, Bogner, Fender, Gretsch, Yamaha, and more. Main Street Music and Sound is teamed with the highly respected musicians at Bentley and Remetto to provide professional music instruction for just about any instrument at any skill level and at any age. Main Street Music and Sound is located at 327 Main Street, Irwin, Pennsylvania. Call 724-382-4633 or email info at MainStreetMusic.com. And now, more Rapid on Racing with Don Gamble and Tyler Harris. All right, fans, joining us now... Tyler Harris, the voice of Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway. Tyler, good day. How are you? Uh, after last, or I should say, after uh, Saturday night's performance of the 34th annual Joke George Steel City Classic presented by All Interior Painting for the Rush Late Bottle Touring Series, that was an absolutely unbelievable night of racing in Imperial Pennsylvania. If you miss it, I am so sorry because uh, you missed a great one. It was a phenomenal night of racing, and uh, I'm just trying to still soak it all in. I saw the four-wide uh, salute that Brian Spade did. Wow. And, and the glow sticks. Let's talk about that. How did that all come together? That was a collaborative effort uh, between um, Corey Simmons of the Turn 5 Turnaround, uh, the promoter Brandon Lockwich, and the entire uh, Juke George family, Beatty family, who came together, and uh, they all came together and made that happen. And uh, all the credit goes to them on that. They that they wanted to do something different. Um, you know, typically they do fireworks during the four wide salute, and the fireworks show is always a nice thing. We actually still had some fireworks, but uh, the thought there was to have a more interactive experience during a four wide salute, and that was one of the absolute coolest scenes. I have ever seen in a four-wide salute. You know, you see people or different racetracks doing, like, wristbands or lighting up the cell phones, which is obviously very simple and easy. But these glow sticks were huge and colorful, and they were just waving around like crazy. Um, I, I have never seen a four-wide salute quite like that. And kudos goes to the Juke family, the Juke George family, for, um, for really making that all come to life. That was absolutely incredible. I think this may have been the best ever Joke George Memorial race. You agree? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we kind of felt like it was going to be with the uh, the number of pre-registered race cars that we had. We had, I think, 42 by the end of the week, and then inevitably we ended up having 42 check-in. Uh, the beautiful weather that we had on hand, 
the uh, singing of O Canada and our Star Spangled Banner by Ron Brooks to start off the show. It's kind of special when you have the availability or the ability, rather, to uh, go ahead and, and pay homage and respect to another country who may be represented in a race. And I think it's so cool that we were able to do that for the Juke race. Um, it, it, everything through and through with the late model portion and in and, and respect to the, the young gun and the hobby stock portion was absolutely dynamite. It, it really just culminated very well together. How about the crowd size? I mean, I saw that on Facebook. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah, and that's what we were anticipating, too. We were wondering. We knew that we – well, I shouldn't say we knew, but we thought that we promoted it pretty well. We gave enough advance notice, and the weather definitely helped through and through there, so that's always good. But the place is packed. Uh, we, we asked you know, we asked Pittsburgh to come and pack the place and support these drivers, and they did uh, through and through. And the, the cool thing, too, about the crowd was throughout the night, we would gauge where the crowd was at in terms of wanting to see a local driver keep the grand prize of $6,010 minimum or to see if one of these rush regional drivers were favored to win that race. And it was, it was pretty clear that the crowd was in for the local drivers, and they showed up and they performed very well. And we had a very popular local driver that went the victory lane. Yeah, Michael Norris, the crusher himself. Um, you know, you never write him off. It's just, it's one of those things where he almost kind of flies under the radar, but he almost doesn't either because you kind of just expect him to be there no matter what. The Nico DeBecco number one is always a dominant race car, especially with Michael Norris behind the wheel of that thing. And he, he even admitted in victory lane, he said, I just feel bad for Nico and his family because I keep destroying these race cars. <laughs> well, this time he was able to park it on the front stretch and earn some money for his efforts. And at one point, Don, it was actually pretty interesting. The locals were doing very well to start the race. And then at one point, we had Michael Norris, Colton Flinner, and Daryl Charlier running first, second, and third, respectively. Three super late model drivers up front leading the charge for a brief time until uh, the lap started breaking down and things started changing rapidly. But um, the, the race itself was a story, and it unfolded chapter after chapter, lap after lap, and it was really cool to experience. Fans, if you're just joining us, we're talking to Tyler Harris from Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway. Michael mentioned in, uh, DeBecco's family, but they share the same family. That's his brother-in-law. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's what makes it a little bit harder, too, when you're destroying some of your brother-in-law's equipment <laughs> after that wreck. After that wreck that he had last year uh, for the Juke race, um, man, that was a scary scene. And, and it's kind of nice to see him have that little bit of retribution and, and go from the zero to a hero, so to say. Not to say that Michael Norris is a zero, but uh, definitely a difficult situation last year. And he comes out smelling like a rose this year. Some of the other races, I saw the uh, video of Catellus winning, and, you know, I feel bad for you. There's so many Catelluses. Sometimes you have to stop and focus what the first name is of the person you're talking to. Yeah, you'll catch yourself. You'll say Catellus is in the lead, and then Catellus is in third. Well, which Catellus is in third? <laughs> you you got to be descriptive. And then Gary Catellus was back in action in the, uh, the, the reserve car that they call it. Uh, I think they have four hobby stocks, maybe only three now. Yeah, it is three because Gary actually sold his. So Gary was back in competition in the hobby stocks. So um, his night didn't go so well. But uh, Jonathan did pretty well, and obviously Logan did great too, being able to park it in victory lane for his third win of the season. They're such a big part of Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, and a couple of them are branching out. But when you hear the name Catellus, you know that there's a pretty good chance they're going to check or flag at the end of the day. 
Yeah, then you talk about the Catellises. You got Cody Catellis, who went up to Sharon Speedway uh, a couple weeks ago and, and picked up his first career Sharon victory up there. Um, they just know how to win. They put in the time, they put in the effort, and, and it shows. Um, and they're doing really well this season, and I'm happy to see that for him. And actually, speaking of Cody, he is leading uh, the weekly series points for the Penn Ohio Pro Stocks. So it's cool to see the um, the local talent that was bred in Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway and see them blossom and bloom around other racetracks around the western PA region. And we're starting to see that with Cody. And I don't think we're too far behind with seeing that with Logan Catellis. And Jonathan Catellis has been doing great, too. I know he's eager to get back to victory lane. I think we might see it at some point this season. One of the drivers that I enjoyed uh, seeing your interview, uh, 15 years old, and he put all his chips on the table. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That was pretty creative there, Don. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Jacob, Jacob Chips. Yeah, it was his seventh career race. Uh, this is his first season of racing. He raced a couple of times at Pittsburgh this season in the Crawford Auto Repair Open Four Cylinders, but uh, has never won. So Gavin Kakalos had planned a vacation, and uh, of course we have a cash bash event this uh, this past Saturday for the Young Guns, and it ended up being the highest paying race for the Young Guns ever. Um, typically, just for retrospect, the Young Guns are a trophy division where they don't typically compete for money. So some money was raised outside of the racetrack by some of the competitors and, and people who were interested in helping the Young Guns and raise some funds for them. So there was actually $200 on the line to win, and the whole field got paid out, which I thought was really special as well. So kudos uh, to the list of people who were able to make that happen. I don't have that list readily available here, uh, but Vince Laboon helped put that together with John Gill, and uh, a lot of people helped contribute to that. So um, anyways, going back to Jacob Chips, 15-year-old driver. We saw him race a couple of times in the four-cylinders. He was still eligible to race in the Young Guns because he had not won a feature event uh, in anything yet. Uh, but we also saw him in competition at Tyler County Speedway. You talk about two very different racetracks, but the 15-year-old knew he was getting into a winning car with the uh, Gavin Kakalos number 91, and he parked it in victory lane, and uh, he was just full of emotion. He was nervous, but uh, overall he was very excited in hearing that win. Fans, uh, Tyler and I are going to need to take a break. We'll be back with more Rappin' on Racing after these messages. No one covers motorsports like Rappin' on Racing. For nearly 40 years, Rappin' on Racing has provided the best in motorsports information with knowledgeable and veteran reporters who cover all forms of racing. Weekly reports include local dirt and asphalt racing from Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia, plus the All-Star, Lucas Oil Late Models, NASCAR, Rush, and the World of Outlaws. Listeners get the latest breaking motorsports news. The show features special guests, local track reports, driver interviews. The host of Rapid on Racing is Don Gamble. A former driver and track promoter, Don brings a wealth of racing knowledge to the program every week. Rapid on Racing. I'd like to take a minute to talk to you about Steve Scarupa Photography. Steve specializes in wedding photography and shoots landscapes for fun. He has separate websites for both brides and weddings. He shoots some badass photos, sometimes people, sometimes racing, and sometimes nature. Steve's work is excellent. You can check him out at stevescarupaphotography.com or 412brides.com, which is his wedding website. Steve is your go-to guy for the best photographs in the tri-state area. 
You won't be disappointed. And now, more Rapid on Racing with Don Gamble and Tyler Harris. All right, fans, we're back. We're talking to Tyler Harris, the voice of Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway. Based on the success of this race, the schedule's got to be looking even more um, more impressive. Uh, yeah, yeah. This um, The end of the year is really shaping up to be busy and full of excitement. Um, and I'm not even exaggerating that, Don. I know I'm the promoter, or not the promoter, I'm the announcer, and I'm supposed to say stuff like that. Um, but it's honest to gosh the truth. So we look at next week. Uh, we all held this uh, next week as August 12th as a rain date for the Juke race. Fortunately, we didn't need that. So it's going to be a TMT transportation night at the races, or I'm sorry, TMT transportation action event, uh, a racing night in Pittsburgh, our five uh, normal divisions. Uh, it'll be a nice rehab race for the Rourke Automotive Rush Dirt Late Models, but it's also going to serve as a tune-up race for the Late Models because coming up on August the 19th, it is the inaugural 2020 Landscaping and Tree Service Hindsight Hustle, which will feature twin 20-lap features for the Rorick Automotive Rush Dirt Late Models. And then our action event divisions will accompany the Rorick Automotive Rush Late Models as well for that event. So um, pretty interesting format for that, too. So the first feature and everything will no- operate as normal for the first feature, the heat races and everything like that. Uh, but going into the second feature, what we're going to do, is the hard charger from the first feature event will automatically earn the pole position. And then what's going to happen from there is we're going to bring a fan down to victory lane and spin a wheel to decide an invert for anywhere between zero, two, four, six, or eight cars. So it's a little bit of unpredictability that's going to happen between uh, feature number one and feature number two. So if twin 20 laps features weren't enough, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for those rush late models, and there's a lot of uh, lot of chance in the air uh, to take home a two thousand and twenty dollar winner share for the between the two features. One of the things that impressed me, and you mentioned it briefly in the first segment, is how many people that contributed to make this so special. I mean, Corey and Cletus and Laboon. I mean, the list goes on. And I don't know all the people that were part of that because, obviously, I'm in North Carolina. But hats off to those folks. Yeah, and let's not forget the Rush Series for doing what they do. Um, They did a phenomenal job helping us promote that event, as they always do, um, pulling some of the best regional talent that the Rush has to offer and bringing them down to Dirt Monster Half Mile, uh, like Brock Pinkris, for example. Bam Bam Pinkris becomes the rookie of the race, finishing seventh. Um, and he did a phenomenal job his first time on a big half mile like that, and he looked like a seasoned veteran out there for the 13-year-old. So uh, the, the talent pool that the Rush Late Model Series has to offer is always a standout thing, and uh, it was on full display. So kudos to the Rush Series for helping make that event so special as well. To say that Bam Bam is interesting is an understatement. I get the biggest, biggest kick out of some of his posts. He's, he's just, he's incredible. Yeah, he's full of excitement, full of excitement, um, dancing on the car after a, a feature victory. And 
Um, he is uh, he's a gold mine in my opinion, right? That's kind of what local racing needs to see is is that kind of attitude and that kind of spunk, if you will, that comes from a, a young man like Brock Pinkris. Um, and he's not afraid to talk into the microphone, and he's more well versed, he's more well spoken than a lot of the uh, adult drivers out there. I'm excited to see what the future holds for Brock. I think it's going to be a pretty bright one. He's got the backing, he's got the sponsor support, he's got the crew around him to help him with Russ King Racing as well. So uh, I think the future is bright for that young Brock Pinkeris. Where is his hometown? Where's he from? You know, I don't, I'm not sure, Don. I'm not sure. Mr. Brian Spade had the call on the uh, Rush Late Model action last night, so I did not have the roster available right in front of me. I want to say New York, but then Russ King Racing is obviously established and based out of Ohio there, so um, I know that's where the car resides and everything like that. So I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sure a lot of his time is probably spent at the garage uh, with Russ and kind of going over and preparing for the weeks to come. Well, Bam Bam did a post with Creedence Clearwater music on it. And if you haven't seen it, you got to check it out. It's just incredible. And you mentioned Brian Spade, who always does a great job with the Rush series. And uh, I really enjoy listening to Brian, local guy from up around the uh, Oil City area. Okay, have we covered everything or do you have something you want to add? Well, just a couple more highlighted events to, to, to go off of. And, of course, our full entire schedule is available to view, and you can purchase tickets there as well at ppms.com forward slash schedule. It'll give you the full rundown of what's to come this season. Uh, the month of August will round out on the 26th with the round number two of the Stephen W. Johnson Memorial Triple Crown for the Hobby Stocks. Uh, it'll be the Wee Willie White Memorial for that, uh, for the Hobby Stocks that night. Uh, the duel before the shootout for the open four cylinders. Two, uh, so that's going to be a nice tune-up session for the Sport Compact Shootout that's coming up in September. And 410 winged sprint cars right back at Dirt's Monster Half Mile on Saturday, September the 2nd with the Fast on Dirt 410 Sprint Car Series. So not only local talent pool of the 410 sprint cars that we have available uh, in our western Pennsylvania region, they're going to be taking on the regional drivers that the Fast on Dirt Series has to offer on Saturday, September the 2nd. Uh, last year, that uh, that race pulled 22 starters, uh, and I think this year we're probably hoping to look around the same amount of numbers. A.J. Flick has been dominant this year at Pittsburgh, winning both of the races that we've had for them, and uh, he's going to look to bring the broom with him on Saturday, September 2nd, and see if he can't sweep the night. Well, amazing report, an excellent race, and the only thing makes me feel bad at being down here is that I'm not up there with you folks at Pittsburgh. Incredible progress, beautiful schedule, outstanding racing. Tyler, I thank you for being with us. I appreciate your time. And, Don, what's it going to take to get you up here for the Pittsburgher at the end of September? We'll see. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right, sounds good, Don. Well, I appreciate your time as always. Thank you so much, and I hope you all come come out to Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway and see what we have cooking up there in Imperial PA. Are you in need of financial planning or portfolio review? Rick Sabo of RPS Financial Solutions is an independent financial planner who has testified as an expert witness on insurance and investment fraud. He helps people who are concerned about their portfolio or with other financial matters. His services include investments, pension, and 401k rollovers, estate planning, life insurance, and long-term care alternatives. As a registered IRS tax preparer, he can assist retirees with the completion of property tax rebate forms and other government tax reduction programs at no charge. Mr. Sabo does not charge a fee to meet with potential clients for a fact find. 
His office is located at 5061 Route 8, Gibsonia, PA. If you are in need of any of the services that he provides, give him a call at 724-443-5720. That's 724-443-5720. Or email him at rick.sabo at jwcemail.com. Securities offered through J.W. Cole Financial Incorporated, member of FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through J.W. Cole Advisors Incorporated, neither J.W. Cole Advisors Incorporated or J.W. Cole Financial Incorporated, nor its representatives provide legal, tax preparation, or accounting advice. Persons who provide such advice do so in a capacity other than as a registered representative of J.W.C.A., J.W.C. RPS Financial Solutions and J.W.C., J.W.C.A. are unaffiliated entities. The dog days of summer can't compete with the heat that Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway will bring in the month of August. Come and be captivated by a symphony of roaring engines, cheering crowds, and an electric atmosphere that is known as Dirt's Monster Half Mile each Saturday night. On August 5th, $6,000 is on the line for the 34th annual Joke George Steel City Classic featuring the Rush Late Model Touring Series. August 12th will be a racing night in Pittsburgh featuring our TMT Transportation Action Event Divisions. The inaugural Hindsight Hustle presented by 2020 Landscaping and Tree Service featuring the Rourke Automotive Rush Dirt Late Models takes place on Saturday, August the 19th. The month rounds out with a kid-focused, jam-packed night on August 26th. It's round number two of the Hobby Stock Triple Crown Series featuring the Wee Willie White Memorial, the duel before the shootout for the four-cylinders, kids' bike races, a vendor show, fireworks, and more. Visit ppms.com today for your tickets. Search PA Motor Speedway on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube. Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, Dirt's Monster Half Mile. And now back to Don Gamble and more Rapping on Racing. Saturday night at the newly revamped Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, it was the 34th annual Joke George Memorial, sanctioned by the Rush Dirt Late Model Series and promoted by the track and Brandon Lockwich. 42 cars were in the pits for time trials, with Justin Chance setting the fast time. Qualifying was followed by four heat races. Zach Gunn won the first one, followed by Colton Flinner and John Mollick. In heat race number two, Brandon Burgoon was the winner, Jake Gunn second, and Mike Reft finished third, Reft running the final lap of that race with a flat left front tire. Heat race number three saw an early crash take out a few cars and send others to the pits, including contender Kyle Lukon. Mike Wonderling won the race, Bryce David was second, and Jeremy Wonderling finished third. And in the fourth and final heat, Mike Norris the winner, Ben Police second, and Tony Mussolino finished third. Two B-mains were next up, with Joe Martin winning the first one. No Murnell finished second. And in the second heat race, it was Kyle Lukant coming back from repairs to win it, followed by Austin Hauser. The top two finishers from those four heat races ran in the six-lap dash. Mike Wonderling won it, followed by Ben Police, Zach Gunn, and Mike Norris. So that set the front two rows for the 50-lap Joke George feature. When the green flag fell at 10.13 in the evening, Ben Police grabbed the early lead past pole sitter Mike Wonderling, with Zach Gunn, Mike Norris, and Colton Flinner in tow. Gunn moved into second on lap two, and Flinner, who started sixth, was on the move as he passed Norris, and then Wonderling for third place on lap three. Dan Lepro slowed to bring out the first caution of the event on lap 17. 
When racing resumed, it was Norris who went from fourth to first with a three-wide pass of gun and police, while Flinner moved into second. Norris and Flinner were side-by-side side for the lead on lap 18, with Norris holding on. 13th started, Daryl Charlier was on the move, though. Charlier drove around police for third on lap 20, and one lap later did the same to Flinner in turn four. Norris caught lap traffic on lap 28, but a caution for Cody Dawson, who got into the fence, brought out the event's second caution flag on lap 29. After three laps of racing, another caution came out for a spin by Tommy Schoenhofer. Kyle Lucan, who had been racing from the back of the pack, snuck under Charlier for second place on lap 34 before Charlier scraped the fence on lap 35 and that allowed police and Brandon Burgoon to move into third and fourth place respectively. The event's final caution was for a medical emergency in the grandstands, with 44 laps completed. Charlier, by the way, dropped out of the race with overheating problems. After a waved-off restart that saw Lucon sneak into the lead down the front stretch, Norris resumed his lead on the final restart, while Lucon and Burgoon raced side-by-side for much of the last six laps. Burgoon finally cleared Lucon, driving around him in turn two on lap 49. But by then, Norris had too much of an advantage build up as he took the checkered flag to win the Joke George Steel City Classic a year after his race ended with a wreck that saw him fly into the catch fence near the flag stand. In victory lane, Norris talked about his move to the front on that lap 17 restart. Yeah, I was kind of riding there early and I, a couple of them guys got by me and I, I was kind of waiting to burn some fuel off and that outside was still kind of crummy at the beginning and uh i figured well we'll try it now i just went into one and never lifted and uh the car could have been a little better but it was good enough to get it done and that's all that matters and norris praised the track conditions for the 50 lap feature i thought it was awesome you know in the in the heats it was pretty bottom dominant it was hard to pass but man it cleaned up really well here and uh i love this place when it's like that i'll say that till i'm blue in the face and uh but like I said, I, I can't thank Nico and Vinny and my sister and uh, Tyler and my Uncle Bernie and Timmy for, enough for working on this thing and letting me come down here and have fun. And about his battle with Lucon near the end of the race? Yeah, I always got to be worried about them guys. They got more laps around here going backwards than I do going forwards probably. So, uh, yeah, always worried about them. I was glad they called that start back. I thought, well, there goes the race right there because as soon as he got in front of me, I probably wasn't going to be as good. Second place finisher Brandon Burgoon talked about the early stages of the race for him. I say the way the race started out, I didn't know how it was going to go with, uh, you know, where to be on the racetrack. And then I kind of seen Michael move up, and I just figured I'd follow him for a while. And I'll say that I kind of stayed up there the rest of the race. I was hoping the way the restarts would fall that I would be on the outside just to stay up there because after a while I felt terrible on the bottom. And, yeah, I just car felt pretty good the whole race up there i'd say just plugging along there one after another and just see how many spots we could get and burgoon's move into the runner-up spot took some work it took me a while to get around kyle i'll say just trying to time it right you know i had to be up far enough so he could see me above him i'll say that took a little bit once i got by him to get rolling but I, I probably wouldn't need 50 more laps to catch michael <laughs> third place finisher kyle lucon said restarts helped him move up and then there was that next-to-last restart that he didn't agree with. Drove up through the field there. Luckily, we uh, got lucky with restarts. We kept getting on the bottom. I wasn't too great running through the middle or the top. But, uh, you know, that last restart, um, I guess we have to agree to disagree. Michael fired first, and I just took the shortcut, and 
I mean, it, there was just more traction down there for initial starts. And, you know, two weeks ago at Lernerville, they, uh, they let the inside car get a jump on me and run my nose over. So maybe if I had a 3J on my car, uh, they'd have let that fly. So the top 10 at the 34th annual Joke George Steel City Classic. Mike Doris the winner, Brandon Burgoon second, and Kyle Lucon third. Jeremy Wonderling finished fourth, and Ben Police was fifth. Then sixth through tenth went to Zach Gunn, Brian Pinkeris, Colton Flinter, Justin Chance, and Joe Martin. In the non-qualifiers race, Ashton Briggs led all ten laps to take home $500. Yeah, it's awesome that they can make it up first that much for the non-qualifiers. Uh, yeah, it sucks we didn't make the race, but we've never really been that good here, so hopefully this changes it. Brian Hutchko finished in the runner-up spot behind Briggs, then came two Canadian drivers, Brent Graham and Craig Graham. Reporting on the Joke George Steel City Classic at Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, I'm Bill Korch for Rapid Unracing. Number One Cochrane has created a new way, a faster way, an easier way to buy a car. Now you can complete as much of the process as you'd like online and spend less time in store. Or do it all online and get home delivery. Expressway is way easy to use. Just shop our nearly 20 new car brands and thousands of pre-owned vehicles to find the model that's perfect for you. We're big on transparency, so you get our best possible price up front. We call it our clear-cut price, and it's independently validated by Kelly Blue Book right on your screen. Our experts are standing by to help you throughout the entire buying process. You can also stop at any time, save where you are, and come to the showroom to pick up where you left off. Don't love your new vehicle? Don't worry, we'll take it back, no questions asked. Best of all, Expressway is open 24-7. That means you can buy your way with Expressway right away. Number one, Cochrane. See it all at Cochrane.com. Every day when they open the doors at Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, their goal is to provide great customer service by offering affordable automotive and truck repair service performed by highly trained technicians at the highest industry standard. By implementing the latest diagnostic equipment and computerized repair manuals, you can rest assured that your vehicle will be repaired to factory specifications for your specific car or truck. At Zarin Truck and Automotive, they believe in honest repairs and will demonstrate that fully by explaining the repair or service you are receiving and they'll give you an estimate or quote before work is performed. When you choose Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, you are choosing professional automotive repair and maintenance performed by expert automotive technicians. That's Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights. And now back to Don Gamble and more wrapping on racing. Bottom free and Norris flying around the high side. Five laps to go for Colton Flinner. Norris chooses the bottom this time in one and two. Diamond move for free in one and two, and he chases Flinter down the backstretch as they reel in the tail of the field, which is now Gary Lyle. Four laps to go, and here comes the A-train. Free right to the back bumper. Flinter slides off the back a little bit. It's a three-car battle for the lead. Flinner, Norris and Free. 
Free tried to beat Flinter to the bottom of one and two, didn't quite get there. Good, clean, hard racing out front. Flinter, Free, and Norris for the lead. Gary Lau right there in the mix. Two laps to go for Colton Flinter. A little bit of contact there with Flinter and Lau on the front straightaway. Free and Norris to the high side of one and two. Lyle drifts up into that high line as they go down the back stretch. Three wide through three and four at your leader, Flinter, the lap car of Lyle. And the eight train to the lead at the white flag. Norris underneath Flinter contact. Just a slight bit of contact between Norris and Free. Down the back stretch into three and four for the final time. Alex Faree's going to Terry Bowser excavating victory lane. Mike Norris second, Colton Flinter third. Maybe the race of the year in a precise racing product, super late model. What a show by Alex Faree, Mike Norris, and Colton Flinter. Unbelievable action. Alex Faree going to Terry Bowser excavating Victory Lane. Norris second, Colton Flinter third. We'll head down to Terry Bowser excavating Victory Lane to talk to the eight train. Braden Dillinger was fourth, Tyler Dietz fifth. Six through ten was Jetter, Schultenbrand, Wiley, Powell, and Lyle. Alex Faree clear the scales and headed to Terry Bowser excavating Victory Lane. Climbing out of the car, let him hear you. The number one Cochrane Lane model driven by the eight train, Alex Faree. Alex Free will get the Hoosier Mid-Atlantic hat, neckband from Hoosier Tire Mid-Atlantic, a nice cold jug of Marburger Farm Dairy iced tea. Alex, I don't even know how to describe what I just saw between you and Colton Flinter and Mike Norris, other than that's probably the best late model race I've seen here in quite a few years. That was a good show, yeah. Um, uh, Gary there made it a little more interesting. Uh, but, yeah, Michael was definitely trying. I felt bad. He had that bad heat race, and then he was coming through pretty quick there. I saw him real early. Which was cool, and it was good racing, good hard racing, Rubbin's racing, so we're, we got up on top tonight. So it's been a little while since you guys have been here in Victory Lane, Lynn a lot of races, Mike won some races. What does it mean to be in Victory Lane in this car? Oh, it means a lot. There's so much, um, I don't know what the right, clout riding with this number one caulking car. I mean, for what it's been doing over the years, for how many years Lynn ran with it, and how many races he won with it. To be able to get back up here again, we've been, we've been struggling. We had a, you know, we hurt that one car at the firecracker with that big wreck, and this thing's been temperamental it's been fast but just can't seem to finish i think this is the second night we finished in seven nights with it or something like that so it's been a little bit of a struggle i can't say enough about my guys i mean the hard work they put in every week to get us back after you know just seeming to be running good and just have that little stuff break it, it it hurts every once in a while or a lot actually but yeah todd mike uh moose who can't be here curtis i mean there's a lot of guys lynn i mean everybody that just that helps me all the sponsors number one cochran of course first belay oil um, Jack's Recycling, Bachman Trucking, Ashley Trucking, Franklin Racing, American Diecast, Glow Racing. I mean, there's Marburger Dairy. Um, lost a great guy there. I mean, there's just so many people that have done so much for me over my career. My mom and dad, my wife, of course. And then these two dudes putting up with all the time and effort we put into it, too. So. 
Pretty cool seeing them in Victor Lane. Congratulations on another feature win. The number one Cochrane Lane model is back, and Terry Bowser excavating Victory Lane. And your feature winner here tonight is the 8-Train, Alex Furry. Every day when they open the doors at Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, their goal is to provide great customer service by offering affordable automotive and truck repair service performed by highly trained technicians at the highest industry standard. By implementing the latest diagnostic equipment and computerized repair manuals, you can rest assured that your vehicle will be repaired to factory specifications for your specific car or truck. At Zarin Truck and Automotive, they believe in honest repairs and will demonstrate that fully by explaining the repair or service you are receiving and they'll give you an estimate or quote before work is performed. When you choose Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, you are choosing professional automotive repair and maintenance performed by expert automotive technicians. That's Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights. Are you in need of financial planning or portfolio review? Rick Sabo of RPS Financial Solutions is an independent financial planner who has testified as an expert witness on insurance and investment fraud. He helps people who are concerned about their portfolio or with other financial matters. His services include investments, pension, and 401k rollovers, estate planning, life insurance, and long-term care alternatives. As a registered IRS tax preparer, he can assist retirees with the completion of property tax rebate forms and other government tax reduction programs at no charge. Mr. Sabo does not charge a fee to meet with potential clients for a fact fine. His office is located at 5061 Route 8, Gibsonia, PA. If you are in need of any of the services that he provides, give him a call at 724-443-5720. That's 724-443-5720. Or email him at rick.sabo at jwcemail.com. Securities offered through J.W. Cole Financial Incorporated, member of FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through J.W. Cole Advisors Incorporated, neither J.W. Cole Advisors Incorporated or J.W. Cole Financial Incorporated, nor its representatives provide legal, tax preparation, or accounting advice. Persons who provide such advice do so in a capacity other than as a registered representative of J.W.C.A., J.W.C. RPS Financial Solutions and J.W.C., J.W.C.A. are unaffiliated entities. And now more Rapid on Racing with Don Gamble and Howie Bayless. As the two-to-go indicator made by flagman Mike Reininger. This time, it'll be the one-to-go. Given to racing Jason Bush, the Mission Critical Solutions last lap of the race. And this one pretty much belongs to Race and Jason Bush in that 42. Through turn three for the last time and now through turn four. Smooth sailing pretty much all the way for Race and Jason Bush as he takes the checkered flag. Followed by the 31 of Anthony Aiello, the 62 of Adam Henry. Doug Lesnar finishes fourth. Tom Golick rounds out to top five. So our Stoney's Beer Victory Lane banner going to be pulled into place. And let's send it down to Howie with our race winner and in-car guest racing, Jason Bush. Congratulations, buddy. Safety gears getting undone. 
Raise your hands, give a round of applause. Second win this year. Jason, congratulations. I'll tell you what, I've been watching you race since the 90s, and I've never seen you run such a smooth race as you did tonight. Man, this car was just on point tonight. Um, the first feature, you know, we started third, and I didn't want that caution early because I think I would have had something for Doug. But, uh, you know, we didn't change a thing from the first feature to this feature, and I said, you know, this car is going to be good. We're starting on a pole. If we get a good start, hopefully it goes green to checker with no cautions, and we could bring out another win. How big was it during the offseason to get Mike Backlund on to agree to crew chief? That was the, the best thing I could have ever done. And me and Mike, we took his car to his house. 58 days before race season, we tore it completely apart and put it back together and changed everything but the center of the car. And it's been a rocket since day one. And he's helped my driving some and, and keeps telling me to dig it and push it harder and get it past that point of where it, you know, feels uncomfortable so I could get it better each week and we got this thing hooked up let's go ahead now and talk about the rest of the pit crew and the marketing partners that help bring the triangles uh bar and sub number 42 to victory lane first thing i got to do is is thank my wife she's not here tonight she's at the pink concert hon i hope you're having fun we did it um it's it's so great to be up here and she's a big support and she always helps me out in the pits and everything so i really appreciate her so without her support I wouldn't be doing this. Um, I got to thank I got to thank my dad, my uncle Paul, Big Mike, JJ, Dan. He's racing down Latrobe tonight. Uh, hopefully, he's doing better. Uh, and then I got to thank all my sponsors. First and foremost, we got a win with with Fazio Heating and Air Conditioning here tonight. I'm glad Russ decided to come up tonight, and and we were able to get a win. Burkett Building and Design. Um, we got. Triangle Bar and Grill in Swissville, ACS Hobbies in Moreauville, Lucci's Collision Center, uh, Fairways Lounge, and uh, that, that's it. That's everybody. Oh, and I got to thank I got to thank uh, Stoystown Auto Records for sponsoring our division. They've been with us for a long time, and and I I really really appreciate their support for our division. And then I got to thank all these fans for coming out. I'm glad we could put on a great show and, and get another win tonight. Race fans, give a round of applause for Jason Bush, your point leader and second win of the year. Hi, my name is Jason Bush from Bush Brothers Tire Service. We are one of the best tire dealer and repair shops in Allegheny County, offering phenomenal customer service expert in-house with more than 30 years experience to ensure premium craftsmanship is done start to finish. Bush Brothers Tire Service was started by my uncle Paul Bush and father Martin Bush in May of 1985. I, Jason, joined the company in early 2000. We offer state inspection and emissions testing, tire sales, tire maintenance, wheel alignments, general auto repairs, brake service, and free estimates. We are located at 1931 Monongahela Avenue, Swissville, PA, 15218. And for any additional information, you can reach us at 412-351-5342.
Number One Cochrane has created a new way, a faster way, an easier way to buy a car. Now you can complete as much of the process as you'd like online and spend less time in store. Or do it all online and get home delivery. Expressway is way easy to use. Just shop our nearly 20 new car brands and thousands of pre-owned vehicles to find the model that's perfect for you. We're big on transparency, so you get our best possible price up front. We call it our clear-cut price, and it's independently validated by Kelly Blue Book right on your screen. Our experts are standing by to help you throughout the entire buying process. You can also stop at any time, save where you are, and come to the showroom to pick up where you left off. Don't love your new vehicle? Don't worry, we'll take it back, no questions asked. Best of all, Expressway is open 24-7. That means you can buy your way with Expressway right away. Number one, Cochrane. See it all at Cochrane.com. Hey, race fans, Rich Miller here for Rapping on Racing. Got a special guest here, Mark Catone. Mark, recently inducted into the Hall of Fame at Jennerstown. Great accomplishment. It's got to be a great honor. What's it mean to you? Incredible. Awesome. Couldn't have done it without all the help, all the support from all the crew members, family, mom, dad, all the marketing partners, and it's just been a fantastic ride. So talk about that ride, man, because... I know when I'm growing up, I think of you, well, I, I have an idea in my head where I think of Mark Catone. When you look back on your career, what, what, what sticks out to you? Where, where does your brain go first? Well, naturally, we started out in the four cylinders, which was pretty awesome, a lot of fun. We did a lot of traveling, and that gave us a lot of experience at a lot of different tracks, and I believe that also helped us on the local tracks, too, and by far, Jennerstown, without a doubt, is probably one of the nicest tracks in the country. And we've been so lucky and fortunate to, you know, have it here and all the other tracks in the local area also. It's just been incredible. Yeah, so I was, I've been thinking, Mark Catone, you start your career in that Ford of Greensburg black number two car. So I remember the four-cylinder. I remember that. What, what was that transition like for you, going from the four-cylinder division to the late models? Pretty interesting because uh, when we first got that car, it had an outlaw body on it. We brought it up for the end of the season and then uh, finished with a top 10 with it and got some experience in a late model. Then we converted it over to a stock appearing body. It actually started out yellow for the first year. Then we switched it over to the black car and uh, just had a lot of good luck with it. A lot of good support. Ford of Greensburg, Integra Bank, Greg Layton, Fog Motorsports team. We were able to do some great things with that. Win a lot of races, a lot of championships, had a lot of fun with that deal. Then we moved on to our own deal with the Eminem Motorsports car and the Chevy program. The Fords, the Chevys, just great, great cars and great crew members and great sponsors. And just so happy and thrilled and thankful that we were able to accomplish all the luck that we were able to have and all the help and all the support from everybody. Yeah, so certainly a lot of accomplishments along the way a lot of championships a lot of wins i've seen a lot of them in person anything stand out to you what any moment any special t- special race anything like that well I, I i take a lot of pride in the big races 
naturally, in order to finish first, first you must finish. But we won a couple of the 100 lappers. We won the Piney Lasky race. We won a 200 lap race. Won a Steel City race. Uh, won some Iceman races. And, you know, the extra lap races, I really, you know, you got to be there at the end. Uh, the, the, the 50s were fun, great. But the 100 lappers, the 200 lappers, you know, that's where you got to be patient. Uh, pick your spots, uh, when to be aggressive, when not to be aggressive. And then, uh, and sometimes you just you can only get what the car will give you. But uh, to get those big wins and those big races was really pretty awesome. Yes, so a long, a long ride, a long career. And you touched on it a little bit, especially toward the beginning years. Now, is there any any competitors, any rivalries, anything you want to talk about? It. I mean, hey, you're out of the car now. You can talk about it. Is there anything that you, in your career, in your in your mind, that stands out that way? Well, all the competitors we've had in this area, you know, you go back to uh, Craig and Galt, Pellis, Iceman, Baker, um, you know, Bobby Henry, Jeff Dunmire, Rich Mitchell, Mark Smith, and all the guys, and Barry Audi. we got so much great competition here. Your dad, Rick Miller, I remember one year, part of the weekly racing series for NASCAR, there was 10 of us that went to, to the banquet, and I believe eight of the ten were from the local area, Motor Drum and Jennerstown. And that just shows you how tough the competition here is with everybody and all the drivers. And even uh, drivers from out of town. Uh, we even had the national champion come in, Larry Phillips. And he had trouble making a race here one year. And this place is really good and the competition is really tough here. And it's probably the toughest in the country. And just glad to be a part of it throughout our career. Yeah, certainly. Certainly a great track. You have a lot of accomplishments, a lot of wins here. I mean, you're still here working on cars. Uh, now, when your driving career was coming to an end, obviously you, you still love racing. You're still here. Is there Was there a time where you thought maybe, you know, uh, maybe I might, it might be my time in the race behind the seat or behind the wheel in the seat might be coming to an end? Any, any You know, talk about that because that had to be hard. Well, I remember a couple of years ago how he called me about the Pittsburgh Circle Track Hall of Fame, and I told him I wasn't retired yet because I still wanted to do some driving. But unfortunately, my parents got sick. Dad passed away, so we put our deal on hold. But uh, I've been crew chiefing, uh, helping out uh, Anthony Ayala and me and a couple other guys. And I'm basically doing everything but driving the car, uh, crew chiefing, car chiefing, tires, setups, driving the truck, loading the car, everything but driving the race car. But I stay involved. I enjoy it. I like helping everybody. A lot of people have helped me throughout my career. So to be able to stay involved and do all the things that we do, it just, uh, it's a lot of fun and we really enjoy it and wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Now, I, I hear you say that and I... You're, you're not that old yet, man, and you're, you're still here turning wrenches. You, 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 any itch to get back in there? Yes. Uh, we've even talked to, uh, and I've helped Jeremiah Kuntz and Carl Kuntz in the past, too, and we've talked about putting a deal together, like maybe for next year, maybe once a month, or limited schedule, or big races, or the, ma uh, the Masters, and uh, see what happens. And if we could put the deal together and and put the pieces of the puzzle together and see what happens, uh, we might be able to do something like that. J just on a limited schedule, maybe. Mm -hmm. We're trying, we're working on it. Again, we're going to see what happens, and time will tell. But I I'd, I'd love to do it. I want to do it. But if it don't happen, then I'm okay with it. 
but being involved in crew chiefing and helping everybody out and plus we still get in victory lane and i think we got five or six wins this year with all the cars so uh a lot of fun and again enjoy doing it and enjoy being around all the fans and all the people and the, this this is like my second home so uh nothing wrong with that yeah i know well hey I know I would, I'd love to see it. I know a lot of people here would love to see it because we're here on the front stretch and there's a lot of people walking by saying hi to you. Obviously, if uh, Mark Catone was behind the wheel here at Jennerstown, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say it would be a pretty big hit with the crowd. So uh, just, just again, you know, so going into the Hall of Fame here, big accomplishment for you. Is there anything else that, I mean, you're going in with some great great company, too. I mean, is there anything else that you can think of? You've had such a great career. Is there anything missing? And there might not be. I can't think of anything, but I want to ask. At this point, I'd have to say no, except if Dad was here. But other than that, but, you know, we can't... Uh go back and change the past but we just got to keep looking forward and it's like I said it's been a great ride and it's going to continue to be a great ride and we're going to enjoy it and keep doing it as long as we can. Yeah so another thing I wanted to know and this is just a personal question for me now everyone knows online Mark Catone strong everyone knows the strong where did the strong come from, and where did the 31 come from? Because I've always wondered that, because Dad ran the 31, yes. and, and I was always curious where your 31 came from. Uh, originally from Dad, and also uh, my daughter was born on the 31st, Halloween, October 31st, and actually at 231 on, on the time, and it's on a birth certificate. And uh, that number comes up a lot because it's got my zip code and some other numbers, and so we just stuck with it uh, whenever we did our deal. Because before that, we were actually 24 in the four-cylinders. But uh, the strong, you know, I get that from the grandparents and my dad and everybody because, you know, there's things that happen. Unfortunately, they're out of, out of our control, but you can't let it bother you, and you got to stay strong, and you got to keep going. So that's one of the reasons why we do that and say that because, you know, sometimes people get discouraged or down, but what you want to do is keep going and stay strong, and things will hopefully work out, and that's what we got to keep doing. Love it, man. Love it. So, I don't know if we had anything else for you, but is there, I mean, there had to be a lot of people that have helped you along the way. You're going into the Hall of Fame. This is usually the time when you're wrapping up an interview, you thank your sponsors. Who were your sponsors, man? Who who helped you the most? Obviously, Dad, but, but who else helped you along the way? Oh, we got Mom, Dad, brother, uh, sisters, wife, kids, uh, Greg Layton, Ford of Greensburg, Tom Clark, Tom Clark Chevrolet, uh, Edie's Ice Cream, Kevin Kuzman, El Pagliai, Keith Shirey, Joe Panza, all the guys, my brother, Mike Rudecki, uh, just all the people that have been involved, Bruce Airgood, Gary Gentili, all the crew members, Russ Babio, and uh, Scotty Damer, and Todd and everybody, and just so many people throughout our career, and all the help with everybody. I don't want to forget anybody, but... Uh, just thankful because without the help and the support of all the friends and family naturally it's it's difficult to do and it takes a lot of time a lot of effort and we've been able to put the time and effort into it and luckily we got some good results out of it and got to thank everybody again and thank the fans and got to thank the Lasky family for such a great facility and and Howie and uh, Mr. Morocco and yourself and and Rich Pellegrudo and 
and John Morocco and all those guys and Larry Hemminger and again the Lasky family. Without, without the Lasky family, there would be no Jennerstown. All right. Well, that that concludes the interview. Mark, I want to thank you. Can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, obviously, congratulations again. Tremendous career. Uh, man, just a lot of accomplishments. It was a lot of fun watching you, and uh, it's it's honestly going to be a lot of fun to watch you get inducted into this Hall of Fame because I know it means a lot to you, and it's a very deserved accomplishment. So congrats again, and thank you, thank you again for your time. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right. That's Rich Miller with Mark Catone for Rapid On Racing. No one covers motorsports like Rapid On Racing. For nearly 40 years, Rapid On Racing has provided the best in motorsports information with knowledgeable and veteran reporters who cover all forms of racing. Weekly reports include local dirt and asphalt racing from Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia, plus the All-Star, Lucas Oil Late Models, NASCAR, Rush, and the World of Outlaws. Listeners get the latest breaking motorsports news. The show features special guests, local track reports, driver interviews. The host of Rapid on Racing is Don Gamble. A former driver and track promoter, Don brings a wealth of racing knowledge to the program every week. Rapid on Racing. Business owners, if your ad was here, our listeners could find out about your company. Speedway Productions has several advertising packages to fit your budget. Rapid on Racing airs live at iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, RapidOnRacing.com, or Hulu Television. You can also listen on your computer, iPhone, or iPad. Don and his co-hosts present the good, the bad, and the ugly of local racing. The two-hour show features local track reports, special guests, driver interviews, and all of the national racing news. Check out the show and let us know if you are interested in becoming a marketing partner. For additional information, call 412-999-6625 or email rappinonracing at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in to Rappin' on Racing. I'm Lenny Baticki. Coming up next, a recording we did for PRN's At the Track. Check it out. Welcome back to PRN's At the Track. Joining us now on the ProFabrication.com hotline, Michael Bauer, his first 410 sprint car win. That's the big engine category of sprint cars at Sharon Speedway. The Speedway owned by the Blaney family just outside of Youngstown, Ohio, in a division they call the Hovis Auto and Truck Supply 410s, a $3,000 win. A lot of great pictures. In fact, I even saw the uh, one of your sponsors, Mobile Bail Bonds. They were all pumped up about the emotion and such, uh, the uh, great photos that we saw from Victory Lane, Michael. What, what was it so much about? I, I know you've won 410 races before, so why was this one capturing so much energy coming out of you that it, it was like busting through the camera there from Victory Lane? Why so emotional? We bring a lot of emotion into into sprint car racing all the time, and I, I you know, I say this a lot. I, I love sprint car racing, and then to get back in victory lane, it was it was outstanding. It's been a been a long time uh, since we were in victory lane. I think the last one was was back at Lernerville in, in 2020. So uh, I, I had a lot of new crew guys come on uh, over the years, and they were all there for that one, and it, it was really a big big win for us when you win a race like that and you've been to victory lane but it's been a little bit since then do you have to kind of remember how to do that wing thing and come out of the car and such it's always a curiosity like who who tells you go up top there and do that what's that process like for you to climb up there and wave the flag at all 
I was thrilled. So I really just a lot of energy just trying to get up on top. You know, I was debating about climbing the whole way up onto the wing or not, but uh, I thought I'd just, I'd just celebrate best I can, smack the, smack the wing a few times, really get the get the crowd involved and just uh just show i mean i was just so excited to uh to finally get get another one michael bauer our guest on the profabrication.com hotline got himself that one at sharon speedway last weekend in the hovis auto and truck supply 410 sprint cars a fantastic win and we'll go through some of that drama in just a couple of minutes but i want to remind you about profabrication headers exhaust all the parts and pieces that go with it just a click of a mouse away at profabrication.com so you're up there pounding on the car and such and uh you know sometimes crew chiefs don't like that and they they look sideways at it but i understand your crew chief uh may, may have been giving you other looks uh am i correct your wife shannon is is who crews uh, and is your crew chief of those race car? Yeah, it's absolutely right. Uh, Shannon, she runs the notebook, tells us uh, you know, sort of what adjustments to make. I, I tell her what the car is doing. She makes certain recommendations. Uh, we work together, and then then the crew and and this happened a lot on on Saturday night. We were making adjustments all night. We changed some changed some bars. So I got to thank uh, my crew for making all the adjustments. We're changing shocks, uh, tires, wheels, etc. Um, but Tyke, um, Kyle, um, a new crew person we have is Steven goes by, goes by Tex, Um, and, uh, everyone really jumping in to make sure we had it dialed in for the feature. But I uh, told Shannon after the heat race, we just need to, to free her up and, uh, make sure we don't get too tight so we can really run up, uh, up above the cushion. Cause that was going to be about, you know, maybe not the whole way up the track and allow us to keep the car maneuverable. And she doubted it in, uh, perfectly for that, for that feature race. When they say change the bars, what, what does a bar change do to a car? Do you, do you make them longer? Do you make them wider? Do you make them bendy? What, what, what are you changing when you change a bar? So on a sprint car, you have two, uh, two mechanisms that really control your suspension. So your bars are what control really your, your, your ride heights and it's really your base suspension. And then you have shocks for controlling when you go over, over different holes and things. So what we were trying to achieve is we were just changing the stiffness of the suspension so that we could uh, really, in essence, keep the car freer in the turns. Um, what will happen in a in, in sprint car racing is if you get the car too tight in the center of the turn, the car sort of stop rotating left and it will rotate back to the right. Um, and that's not really desirable if you want to you know, keep your speed up. So it's kind of like a recipe for, for things. You got to put a little more in, a little less in, got to take this and that out. Cause I, I'm kind of comparing it to asking my wife for something different in, in what typically, you know, uh, would maybe be prepared if I was a good husband that uh, day <laughs> and such. Uh, do you ever find that, uh, the missus there as crew chief might look at you and go, yeah, okay. Wink, wink. And then, uh, you get in it and she, you might've maybe not quite as changed as you thought, but she made it faster anyway. Do you get some of that, that, uh, you know, uh, the crew chief knows best scenario. Yeah, certainly, <laughs> certainly she gives me feedback and that's a big portion of her job is telling me, you know, Hey, you know, I think this, I know what you're saying you're feeling, but I don't think that's really what you're feeling. So that, that definitely helps, you know, a big thing when we made that, you know, made this change, uh, a few years ago with her, her running the notebook is sort of allows me to really focus on, on driving the car and communicating and not really taking on all those different, uh, responsibilities throughout the night. And also having, having the crew help allows me to 
focus on on my job which is really you know driving and then communicating what the car is doing on, on the racetrack how do you share that and we're we're chatting with michael bauer he won his first 410 sprint the big sprint car division at uh sharon speedways one before but sharon getting his first win uh of the year and of the last couple of years and ever at this one particular track sharon speedway in ohio how, how do you share that emotion? Does she come over to you in victory lane or is she already checking air pressures and adjustments for maybe another thing? How, how does victory lane play out when you're both there like this time? Well, her and my whole crew, they were trying to get, they were trying to get it on the racetrack, but there you do victory lane photos, uh, behind, uh, behind the grandstands for the whole crew. But I will say one thing that was awesome is, uh, we had a late caution with six to go and we're coming around one and two and, 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 my crew and Jan, they were on the fence and they were, you know, throwing their hands up in the air, like, you know, better be on it. I don't want to mess this one up. So they, they had a lot of excitement and energy. And, you know, I saw that from in the car with six to go. And when we got the restart, it was just, just hammer down. Michael, thanks for joining us on the profabrication.com hotline fans. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more of PRNs at the track. The dog days of summer can't compete with the heat that Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway will bring in the month of August. Come and be captivated by a symphony of roaring engines, cheering crowds, and an electric atmosphere that is known as Dirt's Monster Half Mile each Saturday night. On August 5th, $6,000 is on the line for the 34th annual Jump George Steel City Classic featuring the Rush Late Model Touring Series. August 12th will be a racing night in Pittsburgh featuring our TMT Transportation Action Event Divisions. The inaugural Hindsight Hustle presented by 2020 Landscaping and Tree Service featuring the Rourke Automotive Rush Dirt Late Models takes place on Saturday, August the 19th. The month rounds out with a kid-focused, jam-packed night on August 26th. It's round number two of the Hobby Stock Triple Crown Series featuring the Wee Willie White Memorial, the duel before the shootout for the four-cylinders, kids' bike races, a vendor show, fireworks, and more. Visit ppms.com today for your tickets. Search PA Motor Speedway on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube. Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, Dirt's Monster Half Mile. Main Street Music and Sound is your full-service music store, featuring a huge beginner-to-boutique inventory. Main Street Music maintains a hometown approach to service with personal attention. Customers rely on Main Street Music and Sound for advanced product knowledge, expert in-house repairs, audio-video lighting installations, and years of hands-on experience. Main Street Music features lines that include Anderson, Guitar Works, Bogner, Fender, Gretsch, Yamaha, and more. Main Street Music and Sound is teamed with the highly respected musicians at Bentley and Remetto to provide professional music instruction for just about any instrument at at any skill level and at any age. Main Street Music and Sound is located at 327 Main Street, Irwin, Pennsylvania. Call 724-382-4633 or email info at MainStreetMusic.com. Race fans, this is Howie Bayless for Rapping on Racing. Right now we're going to grab a word with the driver of the Jones Racing Products one-stop pit stop, car number 10. She's a former feature winner at the Jennerstown Speedway. Please welcome Samantha Osborne to Rapid on Racing. Samantha, tonight, two features, two top tens, and uh, next week the Masters. I'm sure you're looking forward to coming back and race for that big money. Yeah, absolutely. It should be a good time. I'm excited for it. 
Now, one thing with you, you guys run a limited schedule here, but um, a couple years ago, I believe in your debut race at the track, you picked up the feature wind, but you've been racing out on the other side of the track, and you've mastered the short tracks like Evergreen, picked up feature winds there, and um, what was it like when you finally got a chance to come to the big track of Jennerstown? Yeah, it was uh, definitely an experience. Um, you know, I had been coming out here with Mike Sweeney a lot, so I knew what the track was all about and what the racing was like. Um, but, yeah, I did a lot of racing on iRacing to get used to the bigger tracks and run door-to-door with people on longer straightaways and stuff. So when I came out here, I felt like I was mostly prepared. But, yeah, the first time out, you know, I was surprised with how good the car felt and how comfortable I was with the track. So Now, you mentioned iRacing, and... You know, iRacing, a lot of of drivers, William Byron, one of the top NASCAR drivers, got his start in iRacing, and and it's a great tool, but I guess my question is, how much does it really teach you? Because when you're out here, you know, you got the heat, dealing with that, I mean, do you put on your helmet and your fire suit when you go iRacing and turn up the heat in the house, or, I mean, you know, how how do you get ready for that? Yeah, no, that's definitely another element that you can't really compare to besides being in the car itself. So um, you can't prepare for that necessarily. But iRacing is pretty realistic with how everyone races together. Um, you know, obviously the cars feel different when you're in them and you have all the, the forces against you and everything like that and the heat. So it definitely takes some getting used to, but it does help you get an idea of what's going to be happening. Now, how did you get your start in racing? It's, it's a popular sport, but not very popular with women. Um, how did you get your start, and how long have you been racing? Yeah, I've been racing for uh, 15 years, so I started when I was five, and um, my dad used to race wall, um, modifieds at Wall Stadium, and he didn't have the resources he needed to really do that long term, so he put that aside, and when he had my, my twin brother and I, we um, got into core as soon as we could when we turned five, and we ran those for about eight years, and you know I fell in love with it, so... You know, I stuck with it, and we got in the late models um, when I was 13, and I've been running them since then, and it's just been an awesome experience. Now, what was it like getting to race against your brother? Did mom have to break up any fights, or uh, you guys left it all on the track? And more importantly, we remember the Bushes. Their grandmother had to get involved to calm them down. How about how about uh, your grandparents? Did they have to get involved and break up any fights? No, no. Dylan and I have always been really good about racing together. We never really got in any fights, and... Um, you know, we, we definitely get along the best when we're driving something together, whether it's four wheelers or, you know, bicycles or race cars. So we always, I don't think we've ever really wrecked each other. Honestly, we've always ran really clean together. We know what the other one's going to do. So it's always been a really fun time racing with them. And besides that, you'd have to go back and deal with mom and dad. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always funny until mom and dad are mad, right? Yeah, definitely. You don't want to go home and have dinner with your parents, everything with two wrecked race cars. So we try not to have that happen. (laughs) And you, you have been in the late model now for about seven years. And um, what are some of the highlights of your career? I think the main highlight would definitely be winning my uh, race here at Jennerstown. That was such an awesome race. You know, I started further back in the field. And, uh, you know, I wasn't expecting to win, honestly. I came here just to learn and try and get experience and then eventually win races. So with it being, you know, my, like, second time out, I think it was definitely a surprise. Um, but, yeah, that was definitely probably my best highlight. I have a win at Mahoney Valley Speedway and Evergreen Raceway as well, but this one was definitely the most exciting. And, um, you know, we mentioned about most women aren't involved in racing, and, and you're involved with one of your sponsors, Joan Ra- Jones Racing Product. You're actually an employee of theirs, and, um, you know, you come out here and you do some research and development, and it has to be kind of cool whenever 
the stuff that you're telling them gets put in and other drivers are using what you're suggesting. Yeah, it's definitely really cool working there again to see the whole process of, you know, everything being made. And um, I like working in a racing industry place, you know, because I get to be surrounded by racers all the time and we get to talk about racing at work and stuff. And it's cool to come to the track and see how many cars here are using our products and I get to race against them. And, you know, it's really cool to see all that. Now, when you're at the track, you ever have anybody coming up be like, hey, you sold me this product and it's not working. Can you help me? Or the Jones product, Samantha, is left back in the office. And when you come racing, it's strictly racing. No, I'm here. I do help people out if they, you know, if I know that they're having an issue or whatever. I've definitely, I've helped a couple of the guys here get setups from us over the winter and everything. So, yeah, I, I definitely try to help spread the word of Jones and everything when I'm here. So, now, let's go ahead and talk about the marketing partners that you guys have that keep the number 10 Jones Racing product, one-stop pit stop, uh, car number 10, the Howe chassis on the track. Yeah, I mean, Jones Racing products, obviously, they do a lot for me, and I love them. They do so much. And um, Ingram Engines, BFP Specialty, and Arts Radiator, you know, they, they all do so much for me. And without them, I wouldn't be here. Um, and then, you know, my parents, obviously, they, they do a lot for me to get here. They sacrifice a lot to work on the car all week and guess the races. And um, Mike Sweeney and Sweeney Racing, they have done a ton to teach me and teach my crew on how to work on the car and how to race better. So I, I can't thank them enough. And one more question. How come you guys went with a Howe chassis? Uh, I mean, is that a popular chassis brand back where you're from or just happen to be what you got and make the best of it? Um, yeah, it's it's not the most popular chassis around us either. But um, when I first started racing, um, a buddy of mine had a car and he dropped off at our garage and we helped him put it together. And he ran a few times and then he let my brother and I drive it. And then that ended up being my car. And that was a Howe chassis. And then I ended up wrecking that. So we ended up having to get a new one. And we wanted one that was as similar to that one as possible. And my brother had a house, so we wanted to keep everything the same. So that's how I ended up with that. Now, does your brother still race? No, he hasn't raced the past couple of years. Um, I think he wants to get back into it, but no, it's just been me racing the past few years. And it's good when you have your brother out on the crew and you guys, being twins, you think alike. And, uh, you know, but I noticed one thing. I don't think you got to worry about him uh, getting into that car. The seat looks pretty small. Yeah, there's definitely a height difference between the two of us, so yeah, there's no way he's been in there. He would have to hit the pedals with his hands, honestly. His feet would be way past my pedals, so. And I heard when Randy LaJoy made your seat, he said, I never made a baby seat before, but we're, we're gamed a few guys are. Yeah, definitely threw them off putting that small of a seat in a late model, so uh, yeah, that took some designing. <laughs> hey, Samantha, we wish you luck, and uh, thank you for coming to Western Pennsylvania, and um is there a way we can keep track of your racing? Do you guys have a Facebook page or anything or a website? Yeah, absolutely. We have a Facebook page, just Samantha Osborne Racing, so they can follow all of our um, progress and all of our races there. Well, again, we appreciate your time, race fans. Uh, be sure to keep your eyes on the Jones Racing product, car number 10, Samantha Osborne, the driver. Thank you, Samantha. Yep, no problem.
Okay, fans, we're up the Lernerville Speedway for Trackside, and we're going to have a special program today. It's going to be Schwartzlander Family Racing, some of the history of Dick Schwartzlander and his family and their involvement in auto racing for the past eight decades. Today's program is pre-recorded, so if you need any information from the Speedway, give them a call at 724-353-1511. Dick, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. It's always nice to be able to tell people a little bit about the Schwarzlanders. We've had a wonderful, wonderful uh, life in racing, all of my family, and other than Mel being burnt, we've been very, very, very successful at it and had a lot of family fun. Let's start with uh, age 10. I understand uh, you first developed an interest in wheels. Well, when I was 10 years old, my we had a race car called S4, uh, my father and my uncle Melvin, my uncle Neil, and uh, my uncle Les. And the four brothers had an old SX frame with wire wheels on it, and they ran it uh, at Sharon and all over the place when they, when they were running the old sprint cars. And I had the opportunity when I was 10 years old to get in it at Sharon, and they told me, yeah, you can go ahead and take a lap. At that time, I don't know if many people remember, but Sharon was a very, very high-banked half-mile racetrack. And if you went around it with a car less than about 35, 40 mile an hour, the trailer would bounce down the hill. That's how steep the curves were on it. So my Uncle Moke and my dad decided to let me take a ride in our sprint car, which had the handbrake on the side and the fuel pump on the head to pump up the fuel on the right side, and the handbrake was on the left side. You put it in gear, you held onto a rope and held the mag button down. When you pulled you with the pickup truck, you threw the rope out over the front and the pickup truck would pull away. When you left the mag off and got it running, the pickup truck would pull away and tear the rope away. And that's how we always started the sprint cars. I got to make my first lap and I held the mag on too long in the corner and I went clear down to the bottom. And my dad told me they thought I was going to crash. But I got going, went up the back straight away, and I come down around, and they were out in the track telling me to woe, and I didn't want to woe, so I kept on going <laughs> right on by them. And I got two or three laps before they got me stopped. But that was my first experience in a sprint car, and uh, my first experience of driving. But uh, I worked on the cars. Uh, we used to change rear ends and put a bumper jack between the old Ford springs and spread them apart and take the old Ford rear end apart. Uh, put a 941 pickup truck Ford rear end in there and uh, we used to tear those out pretty regularly but uh, we then got another sprint car and uh, we ran it up until the war and then after the war we put it under the porch at my grandfather's got it out in 45 and raced it for a couple more years and then quit and then started into the stock series first time I had the opportunity to see Dick Schwartzlander was at Heidelberg. There were several coupes running. I believe it was 3, 23, and 33. Let's start with uh, your early years in the coupes and pick the story up there. Well, when I got out of the Marine Corps uh, in 1954, I wasn't very happy at home because all my friends were married and I didn't have anything to, to occupy my time and I was thinking very seriously about going back into the Marine Corps. And my wife, I found out my wife was pregnant right after I came home. And she didn't want me to go back in the Marine Corps. So there was a fellow by the name of Don Kennard that had a little Chevy 
coupe uh, with a six-cylinder Chevy in it, and she went and bought that and brought it home and put it, had them bring it down and put it in the driveway. And so I couldn't very well even go back to the Marine Corps when I had a race car. I raced that car for one year at Bradford Park, uh, different racetracks. Uh, I can't even remember all of them now, but uh, then I bought another race car, which uh, was called a Wii 2. I bought it from some fellas in Sarver, and I run it up at Ford City at the old fairgrounds. I ran it at Butler. I ran it at uh, different racetracks around the area then, and I finally blew it apart and quit, and then I started in with the bigger coupes. I uh, got the 37 Ford and built it, a couple of 38 Chevys and built them. Uh, Teddy Tedesco helped me build the Ford and my Uncle Neil and them helped me build the Chevys. And we started racing at Heidelberg. And I ran there for two or three years and then a few confrontations with Mr. Witzberger made me decide to go north and run. Witzberger had confrontations with a lot of people. Yes, he did. He wanted things run his way and he wouldn't let me run my Buicks the way I wanted to. He said I was illegal. So I started driving for Joe Petkevich then in the number 37 Firedome. And I ran it uh, the biggest part of the year and I ran it in the 150 but we blew a piston and then uh, his wife didn't think that was so good so uh, they got me out and put uh, Bucky Walters in the car after that. But then I went back to running my Buicks that I had bought and uh, Uncle Dio and I started running Franklin and Shippensville and Butler and Mercer and uh, all the tracks up north and then started running Lernerville when they opened and we had two cars running three nights a week. We would run Jennerstown and uh, just everywhere that was a racetrack we would go to it sometimes twice a day. Uh, we would go to Indiana Fairgrounds and run in the afternoon and go to Mercer and run at night. And we traveled around quite a bit and had a lot of fun. It was all family, my two brothers, uh, my uncle, my dad, and we all had a good time together. We traveled around a lot. And then Russell Matchett, who was a very good friend of mine and worked with me continuously on our race cars, uh, thought he would like to drive. So uh, I bought another coupe and put a Buick in it. And he ran with us for a little bit at Tri-City, but the people were so nasty, he said, I'm going to go run Shippensville instead. He ran Shippensville and won the track championship there, and I won the track championship at Franklin, and Uncle Neil finished second, so we had a good year that year. Yeah, Russ, uh, he said that people didn't like you, and occasionally they'd throw beer bottles and pop bottles, fruit, whatever they could find. But apparently, if you guys were winning everything, people, they get upset when that happens. We had a very good year at Tri-City. We won 18 out of 21 features, Uncle Neil and I. And Russell come out one night with a tire. I had a flat tire. And he come out onto the racetrack carrying a wheel and dragging a jack behind him. And he had to dodge oranges and apples and beer cans and everything. He said it's more dangerous changing a flat tire than it was driving the race car. When you, uh, the, the several years you were in the PRA, you ran with some pretty good drivers. Uh, you know, Dick Linder, Gus Linder, Bailey, Herb Scott, Buddy O'Connor. One of my favorite stories, Ed Fiola was a, was a good runner down there, and I remember years ago at Old Timers Night, you were telling me he had a Buick and you had a Buick, and neither one of you would question the other guy because maybe there was a little creative interpretation of the rules. Well, Ed Viola and I were always competitive, and at one time I was third place in the points in PRA behind uh, Don Dale and Dick Linder, and I was third in the points, and that's when I had the confrontation because 
Ed Fiola knew that I was illegal. And I told him he was crazy. Doc Frawley had my car tore down because he said I was running something I shouldn't have been and found out I was running hydraulic lifters and he couldn't believe it. So they said it was okay for me to go ahead and run. But Ed Viola come over and he and I had gotten a little tussle, and uh, which wasn't uncommon. And he told me, he said, listen, I know you're illegal. I said, Ed, you're illegal. He said, no, I'm not. He said, come here, I'm going to show you something. He took me over and he said, see that thing on the bottom of the block? He said, see that number there? That's a 364. You're not a 364 Buick. I said, Ed, you got the same number. He said, yeah, but you ain't telling and I ain't telling. So we both ran illegal. <laughs> and both of you good runners, you know. And, it, and it, that was one, and, and I think it, it's something we could allude to. You could build a car and financially, uh, you know, I don't know what a car cost in those days, maybe between $500,000, but uh, a lot of the purses were 500 to win. 500 to win, we used to get $50 to win a heat race. Uh, it was 50, 35, 25, 20, and 15, I think. Today at Lernerville, you run with a $40,000 car and you get $25 to win a heat race. Uh, in 72, we got $1,000 to win at Play Trobe, uh, to win a feature. Now, I was getting seven, $750 when I was winning with the Coops at Tri-City. Uh, Today you get a thousand. Uh, at that time, we could build a decent automobile for three thousand, thirty-five hundred dollars. Today it takes thirty-five thousand for an engine, or thirty-two thousand for an engine, and a Coronet, which I just bought for Danny two nights ago, and uh, put it in for Friday. And today you race just as hard or harder with better competition, and you don't make as much money, you know. So it's uh, it's very difficult to be competitive today and financially stays uh, out of debt. And you have to have that passion. You know, from 54 to 2004, um, you won at least eight track championships at Tri-City, Learnville, Mercer, Shippenville, and Butler, and approximately 375 to 400 feature wins. Uh, and, and I guess they weren't all documented because a lot of times people didn't keep records at that time. But I can recall my early years at Learnerville when you were driving in three divisions. Yes, I drove uh, the number two switch sprint car for seven years for um, Red McDowell, which was a little 289 Ford that he took a Chevy injection and cut down the middle and split it, welded it up in aluminum in the middle and made a fuel injection for a 289 Ford. It was a stretched midget sprint car. He took and stretched the frame out, but it had little um, brakes on it off of an MG on the front of it. Everything was homemade, home built. And we finished uh, fourth in the point standings that year in the sprint car, and we finished uh, second in the modifieds, and I finished first in the late models all in the same year, which was, I was pretty proud of that because it's uh, quite a challenge to run three different divisions with three different types of handling cars and be able to get in them and go and race competitively. And they called Terry Labonte the Iron Man. I don't think he ever did anything like that. The adjustment going from the different cars, and from the, the sprint to the modified, pretty close, but from a sprint to a late model, that's quite a jump. It is. The late models are very easy to drive when they work decent. You, It's not like a sprint car where you're wheel-to-wheel, -wheel and if you make a little mistake, you're on your head. Uh, the late models are very forgiving. Uh, they're not hard to drive. Uh, it's just that they're so much bigger and they take so much more room that you have to be very careful.
going to take a break, and when we come back, I want to talk about the Indy Roadster that you had with Don Martin Trucking as a sponsor. Fans, I want to remind you, this is Trackside from the Lernerville Speedway. This program is pre-recorded. We're talking with Dick Schwartzlander. We'll be back after these messages. Okay, fans, we're back. I'm talking with Dick Schwartzlander. We're talking about Schwartzlander Family Racing eight decades of auto racing history. So Dick, before the break I ask you about the Indy Roadster and I see a, a nice picture of it. it. has Don Martin Trucking on it. Quite a car to be running on the tracks along the East Coast. Yes, I had a friend that uh, came to our house. I don't even remember his name now. I, he came and told me about this Indy car that was for sale. And I said, well, those things are so expensive I'd never be able to buy one of those. He said, it's really not that expensive. He said, they'll sell it to you for $1,200 or $1,500. I said, you're kidding. He said, no, I'll give you a telephone number. I called Eb Rose. Eb Rose, if you remember, is the fellow who developed turbochargers for on the Indy cars and things. So I called Eb Rose, and he said, yeah, we have this. Or I called um, Herb Porter, not Eb Rose. Herb Porter was the one that was a mechanic on this and he's the one that developed the turbochargers. It belonged to Eb Rose from Texas. And I called her Porter and he said, yeah, we'll sell you the car, $1,500. He said, they're not running them anymore. Nobody wants them. I said, I'll be out after it. Well, I collected every dime and nickel I had laying around and I didn't have enough money and I still needed $700. So I went to see Don Martin and Don Martin said, yeah, Dick, he said, I'll give you the money. So Don gave me $700, and I took my money and his money, and I went out, and I brought back the car with a whole truckload of shock absorbers, a spare tail, bumpers, all kinds of stuff, spare tires and wheels and everything. I bought the whole thing for $1,500 at the Speedway, brought it home and put it in my garage, and Don came down and looked at it, and he said, my God, man, we're going to have to take a hacksaw to that thing. It's way too long. I ran that race car for three years in URC, United Racing Club. Uh, we did very well with it. We finished second behind Errol Halliquist two or three times. Uh, we ran well with it. I ran with, uh, uh, oh, there, was, there were seven different men that I ran with that all went to Indy. And I had a ride at Indy with Fiore Brothers in an Indy car if I wanted to take it. But I would have had to quit my job. And I had a mortgage and I had two kids. And so I gave up the Indy ride and I stayed with this car. And then at Flemington, New Jersey, I almost totally demolished it. At Flemington, I flipped it like 18 feet in the air up and come down upside down on the railroad ties. And it almost demolished the car. But we fixed it, my wife and I, and put it back together and I run it one more season. And then I sold it to a guy by the name of Tony Labotti from Cleveland. He bought it and I sold it for $3,500 and thought I made a killing. It wasn't three months after that that a man called me and offered to be $85,000 for the car. Whoa. $85,000. Were, were you able to go and buy it back? I told him where it went. He said, I want it. I'll get it. At that time, Tony Labotti had run it up at uh, Sandusky and a few places, but then he sold it to a guy in Canada. And that guy, I guess, later on sold it to a guy in Phoenix, Arizona, and that's the last I ever heard of it. But I talked to the man that built it, Luigi Lasovsky, when I was working in California. I talked to Luigi, and he said he had people wanted him to build that exact car. It was the only one left with the right hand where the driver sat on the right and the drive line come down the left. All the other cars were the opposite way. It was the only one in existence 
and dumb me, I didn't know. I sold it for nothing. <laughs> well, who would have thought that it would be worth $85,000? Hey, uh, in the 1970 season, uh, your Uncle Neil was winding down his racing career, but you still kept a two-car operation, uh, Tri-City, Jennerstown, Indiana, Fairgrounds, Bully Hill, and Mercer. A little bit about Uncle Neil and his career. Uncle Neil started driving uh, in the old, old jalopies where we... Uh, I was just, I was, oh, I guess I was still in high school, and we used to cut the windshield posts off and just put a seat on them and strip the frame clear back to nothing. And they would take them, and believe it or not, there was a racetrack at Lernerville before Lernerville was built. It went down through the woods, down in towards the creek, up over the hill. When the old swimming pool was there and the old miniature golf course, inside miniature golf course was there and the roller skating rink and the Ferris wheel were all at Lernerville when they ran these old jalopies. They also ran uh, over at a place uh, where it was like a zoo over on 22 there, down in over a hill, uh, Route 22, I forget the name of that place. They also ran out at Cooperstown, a lot of different racetracks like that that were just like TT tracks, but they ran these old cars with no roofs, no roll bars, no seat belts, nothing. You just sit on there and hung on and have one old seat on it, and that's what Uncle Neil started in. He then progressed to uh, a car. He drove for some fellows from Shippensville for two or three years that had a junkyard up there. He drove for them for two or three years, and when I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, he started driving with me, and he and I teamed up, and uh, we raced together for about 14, 15 years and we both did very very well we were real pleased i remember one time i was interviewing uh, brian schwartzlander in victory lane and i alluded to the fact that i'd been around so long that i was a gopher on his grandfather's race car he thought that was pretty funny when neil was driving for mike temple uh you, the, you mentioned a track bully hill and that's one of the tracks i've never heard of bully hill was a racetrack that only ran i believe two years and it was right across from the airport at the top of the hill before you go down into Franklin, you turn to the right at that traffic light and went back in there about three miles and the people built a racetrack back there was just on a strip mine. Wasn't much of a racetrack but we went there and ran and cleaned house and uh, that's where uh, I sold my first Chevy Coupe to uh, the guy that owned uh, Knox to uh, Sam, Caldwell. Sam Caldwell. I took my car there and he said, I want to buy your car. And I said, oh, as soon as the race is over, I'll sell it to you. He said, no, I want it now. I said, but I, I'd like to race it. He said, no, I want it now, just the way it is. Don't touch it. So I sold it to him right there. I think I got $700 for it, for that car. And he turned out and blew the motor that night, <laughs> the very first night. And Uncle Neil was leading the race by almost half a lap, three-fourths of a lap. And coming out of number, he just poking around because he's so far out in front. And a guy by the name of Jack Smith sneaked up on him and come right up beside him and almost beat him. He only, Uncle Neil finally got on the throttle enough that he beat him by about two or three inches. But I was ready to beat him with a club because he was loafing and I thought he was going to lose. But we had a lot of experiences and uh, had a lot of fun. And that racetrack only lasted two years and then they shut down. In the story that Doug Kennedy did in uh, Dirt Late Model, did a real nice job, you made the quote that you drove for so many people that some of them you didn't even remember their names, and one time a guy came to your house to visit with you. Yes, we were sitting on a porch, my wife and I, 
uh, these people stopped and the guy came in and said, Hi, Dick, how are you doing? I said, I'm fine, how are you? I recognized the person, but I didn't know his name, and he had a purple number 10. And I had won a feature for him. He said it was the only feature his car ever won. I picked it up just as a ride at Butler when Larry's car broke. And they stayed. My wife said, why don't you stay for dinner? So they stayed for dinner. We had dinner. We sat on the porch and talked some more about racing at Butler and Mercer. And they left about 7 o'clock in the evening. And they left. My wife said, who was that? I said, I don't know. I was waiting for you to get their names and things. I don't remember the guy's name. I don't know either him or his wife. But we had a very enjoyable day with him and chewed a lot of fat. But I still don't know what his name is. We're going to take our next break. And when we come back, we'll have more with Dick Schwartzlander and Schwartzlander Family Racing after these messages. All right, fans, we're back. Trackside at Larnerville Speedway. I want to remind you, the show has been pre-recorded. If you need any information from the track, give them a call, 724-353-1511. We're talking with Dick Schwartzlander, and we're covering eight decades of racing with the Schwartzlander family. Dick, in 1999, you had to take a break from racing. Uh, what what was the situation? Uh, my wife developed cancer, and uh, we were trying our best to get her better and she promised me she would get better and I told her if you worked really really hard and got better I'd get quit racing and she knew what that meant to me to quit racing but she meant more to me than the race cars so I sold my race cars and sold everything I had and I quit uh, however that following summer and fall she got worse and worse and then in the spring of April she died so I was out of racing for uh, almost two years and I just didn't know what to do so I went and bought another race car and told Danny we're going to start again but uh, other than that I haven't missed since 1954 and I I guess we did the right thing but it just didn't work you know I remember you telling me a story years ago when Danny was a child and it might have been with the Indy Roadster you were at work the car was in the garage, and he was he was going to help you. Let's let's pick it up from there. Well, I came home from work, and my wife said to me, uh, "I think maybe you ought to go down and look at the car." And I said, "Why?" And she said, "Well, your son was down there working on it, and Danny was about four or five then. I don't remember just how old he was, but he painted all my mag wheels with Permatex because it had a little brush in it. That wasn't so bad." he found a box of spikes and every place he could drop a spike he dropped them down in the fuel injection stacks and everywhere luckily they didn't open the throttle and i managed to get them out but uh he was having a big time playing with a race car and my wife said you better look things over close because he was down there a long time <laughs> and he survived in spite of that now that's at age four now let's fast forward to when uh danny when you and uh, danny decided that he was going to drive a race car well, Dan was 14 years old, and I had been. We had a go-kart track out behind our house, and I tried him on motorcycles for two years, and he kept crashing them. And I couldn't afford to keep buying the motorcycles. I said, "We're not going to do this anymore, son." You know. So I had the opportunity to find a '75 Camaro, and I bought this Camaro, and I got a 427 Chevy from Golf Research that they were done testing. I put it in. I told him, "We're going to build you a car." And I built him this all-white Camaro number three, and uh, he got in. He couldn't even reach the pedals. I had to put a 
a tar, one sponge rubber from the tar. I had to put it underneath them. I had to put one behind them. And I took them and told them, you can go ahead and drive. And I took him to Lernerville and they signed a release so he could run. And he did well. You know, I only left him start on the back two or three races the first year. And then next year I left him start where he, you know, where he got the opportunity to. But uh, from then on, that's all he did the rest of his life. He hasn't done anything else. He don't fish. He don't hunt anymore. He goes deer hunting, but he doesn't go golfing. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't drink. All he does is he lives racing, and that's all he lives for. And... Uh, didn't he pick up a couple championships with that car at Marion Center? He won two track championships, yes, with a, a rock, or I mean a bullet car that we bought. Uh, was sponsored by E&S uh, Motors in uh, Indiana. And we won two track championships there with that. Your older brother, Chuck, he did a little bit of driving, but not he didn't really uh, get into it like you and the rest of the family. Now, my brother Chuck drove for one year in a Chevelle that was owned by a boy that lived uh, right up the street from us. But my brother Chuck got into the front wall at Lernerville and had his hand in the spokes. And he broke all the bones in his hand. And when they went back together, they didn't heal right. And he spent about six months going in and getting his bones broken and getting them so he could use his hands to work because he was a plumber and he had to be able to pull on pipe wrenches but he never could bend his hand so he had to go keep getting the bones broken getting the fingers broken so he could get a grip on things and he finally did get it fixed but he never went back to driving again one year was all he run uh, my other brother Phil uh, he was a mechanic all his life and he did nothing he just loved to work on race cars and his son was also he was a drag racer and my brother Phil built 289 Fords, and he won the championship over at Keystone drag racing also. So that's a different, little different area from us, but my brother and his son did that. Well, you, early in the uh, show, you mentioned Teddy Tedesco, and I recall Teddy, and now his sons are the ones that own uh, Pittsburgh International Raceway. And... Uh, they're doing a nice job there with Mike Tedesco and Frank and Carmen. Uh, so a lot of racing routes there with the Tedesco. Yes, Teddy and I were very good friends. I drove for Teddy a few times. And uh, I drove the car that Don Dale drove that had the big eagle on the front of it for the fellow that got killed um, in PRA. I forget his name. Panaya. No, not, he didn't get killed. He got killed on a bulldozer. But, uh, Bob Bunks. Yeah. Uh, I drove the car that he drove. And... Uh, Teddy got me that ride and I rode for him for a while but Teddy used to come out to my garage and help me build that 37 Ford coupe and told me how to put things on and how to fix it because he had worked a lot with them and knew more about it than I did. I spent a good bit of time racing against Dave Schwartzlander in the Pure Stocks. A little bit about Dave. He ran in the division for about 10 years, did most of his racing at Lernerville. David was really, he really loved racing. He had sugar very, very bad. And as you know, he had one leg taken off, and he used to kid me. He said, well, I don't need that leg anyhow. You only need one for the gas pedal. And uh, in fact, I still have his uniform with the zipper down the leg that he wore. I kept that. And he loved racing. He, nothing meant more to him than just getting out there and having a good time. He didn't progress like he wanted to, but he didn't have the funds, and he didn't have the backing. And, you know, there's a lot of times when good race car drivers fall by the wayside because they don't have the backing to push them to where they need to go. 
Another Schwarzlander I had the pleasure of watching race was Mel in the number 83 modified. A little bit about Mel. He had a pretty good career, but uh, some tough times at the end. Let's start at the beginning of his career. Well, Mel started... Uh Uncle Neil and I tried to get him into a coupe, and we got him into a coupe and got him running. And he did pretty well for a while. Uh, was never a big winner, but he did win some features, and he won some heat races. And he did well, but there again, he didn't have the money when he was trying to raise three boys to put it into race cars that he wanted. And him and Uncle Neil started a, a gas station on the side so that they could make extra money so that Mel could race. And Mel did very, very well for the what he had invested. Then he got burned very bad over 85% of his body and they expected him to die. And after seven years of uh, hospitalization and skin grafting and things, uh, he managed to get back out. He wanted to go back racing and the first night out, he crashed a car. Second night out at Mercer, he rolled the car over and he came in and told Brian, he said, Brian, I think someone's trying to tell me something. I think I'm gonna quit. And that was the last ride he took was at Mercer after he rolled his car. You mentioned his three sons, Brian, Jeff, and Keith, and uh, all of them very involved. Let's, uh, we'll start with Brian first. I remember early on when he was racing a late model, and for as good as he is in the modifieds, he really struggled in the late models, probably a lot of it due to finances. He bought that late model off of me. <laughs> Uncle Neil and I said, we got to get him into something. So we, I sold Brian that late model. And it wasn't the best late model, believe me, or I wouldn't have gotten rid of it. <laughs> but, uh, I had rides with other people and I didn't need that car, so I sold it to Brian. And he worked very hard trying to make it go, but there again, he didn't have the money to uh, do the things he needed to do. But when it comes to driving, people may think this is an awful statement to make, but I think Brian is probably the smoothest, most consistent race car driver east of the Mississippi. He's won 11 track championships already. He's winning features consistently. He's always there, he's always smooth. He gets through situations that a lot of people can't. I, I admire him. I, I wish that I were young and could go back and learn from him the things that I didn't learn when I was driving. Because I think he is, Lou Bellaney even told me, he said, you know Dick, he said, he is the smoothest driver I ever raced against. He said, I feel more comfortable racing with Brian than I do anyone. He said, I know I can race with him right up tight against him and not have to worry. And from Lou, Lou is a very good race car driver and a champion in his own right. And to have that compliment, I, I really am proud of Brian. I think he's an excellent driver. He's going to enjoy this show because with you and Lou Blaney reaping accolades, that's about as good as it gets. And I think the secret is his brain and his foot are connected. And with a lot of drivers, that's not the case. I told Brian, he and I both were drummers, and I said, you may think this is a stupid thing to say, Brian, but the timing between your feet and your hands, playing the drums and working your hands and your feet in combination makes a big difference in you in timing where other people don't have it. Today they play video machines which give them timing with their hands and their eyes. But with Brian, he has the timing between his feet and his hands and he could play drums beautifully and I think that timing helped him an awful lot as far as driving a race car. It gives him the smoothness and the times and it just helped him an awful lot. 
My dad always told me you should learn something new every day, and this is new. I'd like to hear more about you and Brian as a drummer. I never knew that. As long as I've watched you race, this is a news bullet. Well, Brian was a drummer. He played in bands all over all over the tri-state area here. He traveled around on Saturday nights and things. In fact, he quit racing when his son was getting ready to go to college and things, and his daughter was getting ready to go to college. If you remember, Brian quit for about six or seven years. And in that time, he went out and played drums then Friday nights, Saturday nights and things and made money to help pay for the kids' schooling. He was very, very, very good. Very smooth, very good drummer. I played the drums when I was in high school. I played the drums when a little bit with my dad and them. They used to go to play square dances and things and I'd play the drums. But I got away from that and got so involved in racing I didn't have time for them anymore. Well, on that note, we're going to take another break. want to remind you, this is Trackside from Learnerville Speedway. We're talking with Dick Schwartzlander, and we'll be back after these messages. Okay, fans, we're back talking with Dick Schwartzlander, learning an awful lot about uh, the history of racing in this area. Uh, when we left you, we were talking about Brian Schwartzlander. Now we're going to talk a little bit about his two brothers, Jeff and Keith. Um, Dick, I know Keith had a lot of success in the dwarf cars, but he was pretty impressive last year in a big block modified. Yes, he had a lot of talent, and I think a lot of that came from two reasons. One, uh, Jeff was crew chief for Brian for four or five years. He learned chassis, he knew what to make changes, he knew when to put a tie down, shock on, he knew where to, to uh, set the bars, he knew what to do with everything on those race cars for Brian. So the race car that he started to drive for Gary Rich Sr. was one of the cars that Brian owned and Gary Rich Sr. bought that car. And so Jeff had a, a lot of knowledge as to how to set it and how to make it feel good. You know, if it didn't go, he knew what to do to make it work because Brian taught him or told him and he would make the changes, so that helped him an awful lot. Secondly, he had a very good engine and a good car, and he did it. I thought he did a super job to finish in a top 10 in the points the first year he ever drove, and uh, he has a lot of talent, but there again, he just doesn't have a ride now because he doesn't have the finances, and uh, good rides are hard to find. <laughs> Extremely hard. Now, the third brother, uh, Jeff, uh, pretty involved with Precise Racing. And uh, if I am correct on this, they purchased that company from uh, Dick Bailey's son. That's true. They bought that company from Dick Bailey. Uh, Jeff also owns Precise Tool and Die, which is a tool and die company in West Leechburg. And uh, Brian worked for another tool and die, a competitive company, and he just retired from there. And when they bought the other place from Bailey, he went to running precise racing for his brother and him in uh, uh, Fort Sir, Grove City. Grove City. Yeah. So they're into the, the selling parts, and the good part of it is that they manufacture all the parts for TO now. And so they're a direct supplier for themselves from their machine shop straight to there, and then they can sell them, and it helps them out a lot. And what a natural uh, combination, you know, a tool and die shop. And, and you know, yourself over the years as a, as a racer, you have to be creative. I had uh, Mark Bush from Avco Manufacturing told me years ago when he was down at B&R Speed Supply that racers are very creative. They were having a problem with Sputnik in the space program. And Mark said to me, if they put a racer in charge of that, he'd have it fixed by Friday night. And I think that that's the kind of thing you see with, with guys like the, the brothers where they, they do have to fabricate a lot of parts. And now it's segued into a good business. Yeah, 
they not only make parts for all of the modifieds, they make go-kart parts, they make parts, spindles, they make hubs, they make uh, drive sprockets, they make everything for go-karts, uh, dwarf cars, modifieds, uh, motor plates, all kinds of parts they make them for, uh, for modifieds especially. And they build all of Tio's parts now for him. A couple more things with Brian, then I want to talk about your son, Danny. You know, I, I think Brian's best year had to be 98. He won three track championships, 26 features, the Cavalcade points, the BRP Modified Tour, and he was the overall big block winner for the entire Northeast, and also runner-up to sprint car racer Fred Raymer as the winningest driver east of the Mississippi. Kind of ties in with what you had said about his coordination, how smooth he is, and, you know, in addition to that, when he's not in the car, he's just he's a pretty nice guy. Brian is very, very easygoing. He's, uh, he likes to enjoy his life. He likes to fish. He likes to go bow and arrow hunting. He likes to go out camping with his family. His wife has horses. He likes to go riding. And uh, he enjoys a lot of things besides racing. Now that his two kids are out of college. And uh, he deserves all he's getting because he worked really hard to get where he's at. Now, we... we, we briefly touched on Danny, 88 and 89, he was back-to-back -back late model champion at Marion Center, and uh, doing a little bit of traveling, pretty regular at Lernerville, we're at, uh, we're at the Challenger Raceway today, uh, the beginning of Danny's career, and a little bit up to uh, the present time, how things are going for him. Well, we just, uh, we had a bad start already this year, we, we blowed two motors the first night out at Lernerville and wrecked one car. Uh, we blowed the motor in one brand new motor in nine laps. Went home and got the other car, brought it up, broke a lifter and ruined the camshaft and the lifters and things in that one. And we had it rebuilt and brought it back out uh, for Tuesday night and evidently we didn't get one of the rollers out of the lifter and it got in the oil pump and blocked the oil pump up and we destroyed another motor. So we've gone through three motors and one crash and we didn't have a motor so I just bought a Coronet motor for Danny uh, from a fellow down in Moon Township and uh, we put it in, we picked it up on Thursday, we worked till 3 o'clock on Friday morning and got up at 6.30 and started again and worked and a quarter after 4 we fired it and we took it to Lernerville and we won the heat and he was doing pretty well in the feature but he thought he had a flat right front tire and uh, he ended up back in 13th. He was up to 8th but went to 13th and last week uh, he ran very well but he got crashed in the heat race and we fixed the car and he started 25th in the feature it was up to 8th and he spun out and we didn't know till this morning when we were greasing the car and loading it that he had broken an axle went into the corner and hit the throttle and he said it just went right around and we, I guess that would do it <laughs> so we had to hunt around couldn't find an axle so we took one out of the spare car that we have and put it in we forgot we even had one out there and we took an axle out of the spare car and put it in so we could run tonight but we're hoping that this new Coronet motor gets us. Uh, he was turning laps at Lernerville, according to the computer, at 15, 15.5, uh, 15.6 uh, Friday night. And when we qualified with the 4.15 that we blew up, we returned, we turned 17.4. So we've picked up a couple of seconds on the same track, on the same, basically the same conditions, just with a new motor. We, at the beginning of the show, we mentioned eight decades of Schwarzlander racing and all the nice things that have happened, the camaraderie with family. And we're going to take our last break. And when we come back, you've been doing a lot of traveling and really a happy guy here in your retirement. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and how that all came together. We'll be back with more Trackside after these messages. 
fans, we're in our last segment here of Trackside from the Lernerville Speedway. I want to remind you again, this program was pre-recorded. If you need any information from the Speedway, give them a call at uh, 724-353-1511. I mentioned a little bit of a change in your schedule, the fact that you're going on vacation. Matter of fact, you've been on multiple vacations, and you're, you're really taking some time to smell the roses, and I'd like you to share with the listeners how this all came about. Well, when my other wife died, I, the lady that I just married, I've known since 1955, and she was one of my wife's best friends, and her husband had passed away quite a few years ago, and so and she'd been a working woman for 30 years, and uh, we got together after my wife had been dead for a couple of years, and uh, my family really loves her, and my daughter asked her, when are you going to marry my dad? And she said, well, he never asked me. She said, well, then you ask him because she said, I want you to be my mom. <laughs> so that made us very, very happy. Uh, her kids and my kids all have known each other all their lives. Um, and so I decided that I wanted to race. And she said, if you want to race, go ahead and race. So I tried it for one year. And I run six races. And the sixth is the best I could finish. And you can't make any money running sixth. So I talked to the kids. And I they asked me just dad you're you're 75 years old why don't you quit you know and I'm going to be 77 and I still help still go strong keep going but my wife and I now Audrey and I both love to travel and we've been on I think what 12 honeymoons so far since we got married in two years will be three years on June 28th but we've been all over the world and we're leaving Sunday to go on another trip to England for three weeks and I'm going to miss racing, and then we'll be home for two weeks, and then we're going to Alaska for another 11 days. And then we'll be home for three weeks, and then we're going to Myrtle Beach for a week. And we have a lot of vacations planned. We've been on a lot of vacations to all over the world. We've been to Cancun. We've been to Ireland. We've been to the Bahamas. We've been all over the place and uh, all over the United States. And we've gone hunting on, out in Cody, Wyoming a couple of times. And uh, we're really enjoying each other together. She's very good for me she she's good for my family and she helps us stay together and enjoy life and that's what it's all about because I'm getting I'm getting old now and it's time I spend my money <laughs> well at 77 my hope would be when I'm 77 I'm as happy as you are and it's obvious that the, the combination of you and Audrey is definitely a good one I know I've had the opportunity to visit with her on multiple occasions I found out we have uh, uh, friends in common with the Ganassi family. I'd have to say you're a pretty lucky man. You know, the eight decades of racing was good, but seems like it's just getting better. Well, I think the good Lord has blessed me in so many ways, you know, with good health, uh, a good family, uh, two good women, and a lot of my friends say, how in God's name do you get two good women? We can't get one. <laughs> and I, I talked to Herb Scott at a, one of the old-timers dinners, and he said, you know, Dick, he said, you and I are about the only two guys who run PRA that still have the same wives. <laughs> I said, well, I guess we're pretty lucky, Herb, you know. But I've been blessed. Uh, I thank the good Lord because it's just, it just seems like he provides for me and keeps me going and keeps me healthy and uh, keeps my family safe. And we enjoy, my daughters don't go racing anymore. Uh, my daughters had two bad experiences at racing. And when we were running the sprint cars, my one daughter had to, six months we had to take her to hospitals and things because uh, she was very good friends with a man by the name of Joe Chickie from Pacifini, New Jersey and he flipped at Bedford and got killed instantly right in front of her and she had been cleaning his bubble and taking care of him at all the racetracks 
and so she won't go to a race know-how. My other daughter went once, Danny flipped, she went screaming crazy, and she, now she won't go either. Uh, to us, that's nothing to be upside down. That don't bother either Dan or I. It didn't bother my wife too much in the sprint cars, but she didn't like to see Danny do it. <laughs> it was all right if I did it, but not Danny. But Audrey is very good. She allows me to do whatever I want. If I wanted to get in a race now, she said, go ahead and race. Uh, but I know that as fast as the automobiles are now and without being in it, uh, it takes a lot to be competitive. And you, if you don't stay at it and do it regularly, uh, you're just going to get yourself hurt. And I don't want to get hurt. I want to travel. <laughs> We're wrapping up our interview with probably the luckiest man in racing. Uh, his lovely wife, Audrey's here. They took the time to get this interview so we could share it with you. Nick, I hope the vacation's a good one. We'll look forward to seeing you when you get back. Okay. We'll be gone for three or four weeks in England, Scotland, and Wales. And uh, be back in time to watch Danny win a big race on Memorial Day, I hope or shortly after Memorial Day. <laughs> Fans, that'll do it for today. This is Trackside at the Lernerville Speedway. We'll be back live next week. Be sure to tune in Monday for Wrapping on Racing. Have a good week. I'd like to take a minute and thank all the photographers that provide the beautiful pictures that we use on the Wrapping on Racing Facebook page. At Lernerville, it's Jason Bryan. At Pittsburgh, it's Steve Skarupa. Jennerstown is Benji Husick. Latrobe, Howie Bayless. Now, Howie and Scott Goodman travel around a lot, and we get pictures from them for specific racing events, and we thank all these people for their wonderful work. Tomorrow all the things were gone I'd work for all my life And I had to start again With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away Tennessee Across the plains of Texas From sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston And New York to L.A. Where there's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say Yeah.
number one motorsports talk show. Today's program was brought to you in part by our marketing partners. Recognized by the Eastern Motorsports Press Association as one of the top racing shows in the Eastern United States. Have a great week and be sure to tune in for another installment of Rappin' on Racing. Stand on it. Come on y'all, stand on it.